0: Welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Daniel Hagen. Maxine, that's so true about the giving in terms of the car. I was just remembering as a brand new Christian, uh, ex-drug addict, pretty messed up. I was playing in bands and nightclubs. We were getting paid a bit, but I was also... Uh, spending it all on uh, like the, the prodigal son, uh, just wasting it on uh, on a life of, uh, of debauchery. And so I didn't have a lot, didn't have too many skills because my mind was so fried on drugs. And I had an old car, it's an old Ford. Uh, it was on gas, it got me around okay. And I remember as a brand new Christian, my uncle, his name was Jack, and he had a great revelation on giving. And he, he said to me, even as a brand new Christian, he said, when you're in church, whenever that bucket comes around, he goes, "Always give something, even if you haven't got anything, even if it's a shoelace." Always just get in the habit of sewing. And he said it's very, very powerful, and I remember it just stuck. Like people say things all the time, but that particular thing stuck. And I remember the bucket coming coming around one day at church, and I didn't didn't have a lot, brand new Christian, and uh, and his words were echoing in my ear as that bucket came around. I didn't even have five cents, and I'm thinking. I don't want to take my shoelace off. And then as I was thinking that, uh, I heard my keys rattle in my pocket. I must have knocked them. And then I, I just felt like this tingle, go th- like these tingles go through my body. And I heard God, and I'm learning to hear God. I'm learning to hear his voice. And I, I heard it as clear as a bell. Give the keys, give your car. That's all I had at that time. And uh, so for me, it was a big, big deal. And I remember giving the keys, putting them in the, in the bucket as it went around, and uh, afterwards, I hanged around for coffee afterwards, and I remember the local pastor, like, he thought that someone had accidentally put their keys in, you know, like, grabbed a handful of change and accidentally put the keys in, so he's saying, did someone accidentally put their keys in, and and I had just read that scripture about giving in secret as a new Christian, so I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what do I do now? Uh, I'm meant to give in secret, but he's asking me, and I'm like, so I'm, like, kind of going quiet like this, and I think he could tell that I was acting weird, so he... he comes straight up to me. Said, "Did you give your keys?" And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "Did, did you mean that?" And I said, "Yeah. I thought God say to do it." And uh, and he said, "Well, he goes, you know, the guest minister that was supposed to be here this morning, uh, he he was a, a struggling church planter. He had a young family, and uh, his car broke down on the way to minister, and he couldn't he couldn't minister that morning as a result. And I think it was about the sixth time that uh, the reconditioned motor or the, something like that, but the motor had broken down a lot. And uh, so he said, we're going we're gonna to give that car to him. And I remember thinking, yes, I heard from God correctly. Praise God. And I was, I was uh, really happy to be a blessing. Two years later, supernaturally, God gives me this amazing job. So this, this dude that's fried on drugs, gets cleaned up, gets discipled, and now I get put in this position of uh, a field manager overseeing hundreds of technicians in three different states. I had no idea what I was doing, uh, but uh, God was doing something. And I ended up being quite good at the job, but they gave me a, a brand new company car and, uh, and all, all sorts of other benefits in, in this uh, managerial role. And as I sat in the car and I was about to turn the key, it hadn't done any Ks at all. It was totally brand new. And I was, as I was about to turn the key, I just felt that same feeling that I felt two years previous, the tingles. And I heard God say again, this is for you because you were faithful two years ago by sowing that. So I sewed an old car and he gave me a brand new one. Glory to God. So let's give Jesus some praise. And then he gave me a fuel card. I didn't have to pay for any fuel. And then the boss said, I don't care how you use the car. If you want to use it in your own personal time, holidays, whatever. And I said, praise God. And so I used to pick up people all over the place and bring him to church. And I thought, well, God gave me the car and the fuel card. I'm going to use it as a bus. And I filled it up every Sunday. I drive hours sometimes in the morning to bring people to church. And uh, it, was, it was great. So uh, yeah, it is a faith journey. And uh, we don't often know uh, the benefits. Sometimes it's the next life that we see the reward. But when we give things up, when we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, uh, the Bible talks about a hundredfold in this life and the one to come. Isn't that beautiful? So uh, I'm going to, I've got a message this morning. I'm real quite excited about it because God gave it to me in my sleep last night. Gave me all the points and what I was supposed to preach and teach on. So that was good. Uh, I have like a series of sermons and many things like go-to teachings. And I was kind of waiting on something specific this week. It wasn't coming, so... Normally, when, I, uh, when I'm not getting anything specific, I just go with what I've already prepared. Because how many people know everything in the Bible is good, and we need to teach the foundations. And so normally, I just go to something that's going to bless the people. And, but uh, last night, uh, God woke me up and gave me something really specific. So I much prefer to preach what God wants to preach prophetically and teach on something that He wants to teach prophetically, even if it's not all that well articulated or presented because I haven't had time necessarily to unpack it all, but I got very, very clear points in last night. So you guys cool to bear with me this morning as we uh, as we go through what I, I believe God has uh, has for us. So let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the teaching. Help me to, to stay on your track. And uh, Lord, help me to be able to just unpack what you want to say, the heart of what you want to say this morning. I, I pray for those that have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church, like you, like you said in the book of Revelations when, when addressing the seven churches. Those that have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. I thank you, Father, that, uh, that you've been doing amazing things in our midst this year. And I thank you, Father, for your Word. I thank you for your Spirit. And uh, Lord, we, we're just hungry for you. So I pray that all of us would really draw from what you want to say this morning, draw from the anointing. We'd we'd open up our hearts, we'd we'd be hungry. I thank you that you fill those that hunger and thirst for righteousness in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, let's get into it this morning. We're going to start in Psalms chapter 133. Psalms chapter 133. As you go there, uh, I'll just give you a little bit of an update of what's been happening. Been in Perth and uh, in Western Australia with Margaret Court. Has anyone heard of Margaret Court? Been with Margaret and Barry Court and uh, they are great people. They have an amazing church there. Huge work actually. They have a big uh, auditorium, uh, a great facility. They have three uh, very well attended services. So they're ministering to thousands of people there in Perth. They feed a whole bunch of people. They work in with the council there. And I think they have about, they release about seven tons of food each week. Quite a big operation. They do that kind of quietly in a way. It's not necessarily directly uh, related to the church. Like it's, it's, for, it's for the whole community. And uh, Centrelink, send people there, they have counseling services, and and they've really grown something amazing over the last 20 years there, and they're not slowing down, Margaret's 70 odd years old, she's very well respected there, she's honored greatly, uh, which I think is awesome because she has been very much dishonored uh, in this country and in the world, particularly in the tennis circles, often they leave her name out uh, when talking about the greatest of all time. Uh, in interviews I've noticed, uh, maybe because of the controversy, probably in fact because of the controversy, uh, which shouldn't be a controversy, her uh, her stance on biblical values. So many people know it's okay to have biblical values and it's okay to uh, not be afraid to share uh, what your views are around the Bible. Uh, but unfortunately um, the enemy doesn't like people that stand up that are unafraid and tries to knock their head off. And so we've seen that in the secular media and uh, in, the, in the tennis world. Did you know Margaret Court has won more Grand Slams than any other player ever? She's won more Grand Slams than Serena Williams. She's won more Grand Slams than uh, Federer, than any of the male players as well. And, uh, and so she's a champion on the, on the, on the court and uh, she's a, I believe she's a kingdom legend. And we've invited her to be one of the guests of honor. We want to honor mothers and fathers of the faith. And uh, we're not afraid to associate with her because of the controversy. In fact, we back her and say thank you for being a voice for biblical values. Amen. So we had a great time. We ministered at a men's meeting and we saw it was a packed packed morning and they put on a barbecue. And then we saw 40 men who had been invited by friends, by uncles, by brothers, 40 men that hadn't been to church before uh, get born again for the very first time in Perth. Come on, Jesus. There's stuff like this happening all around the nation. And uh, it was really powerful. One man sent me a thank you message afterwards. He said, he was a real estate agent. He said, I've been praying for my family nonstop. And he said, over the last six months, all of his family has now been born again. His whole family is born again. He's been praying for years, and it's just been the last six months. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but our nation, thousands of people are committing at 7 p.m. every day. Thousands of people are committing to pray, specifically for unsaved family and friends, for God to pour out His Spirit on this nation. And we're seeing the effects. We're not waiting till November we're seeing the effect of that right now. So this guy uh, invited two people that were not yet uh, born again in his family, I think two brothers. And they came along that morning and both of them got born again after hearing um, a testimony about the glory of God. So come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> then we had this, uh, the three Sunday services, which was really powerful. Barry's a funny guy. Barry Court. He, I was wearing something somewhat similar, and uh, he, he wears a suit, and he is a very well-known uh, politician in that area. He's, not, he's retired now, but uh, from a, a you know a line of politicians, and they're very well dressed. And uh, he, he was looking at me. Now I am wearing anklets, but he thought I wasn't wearing socks, and uh, he's wondering why there were rips in my jeans, and he's a bit concerned about the hair. And uh, and so he, when he, he stood up, he's funny, funny as, when he stood up to do the offering, and he said, right. he had this cowboy hat, and he goes, right. we're going to send this around with the boys, and this is at the men's meeting, real Aussie accent, and he goes, uh, he goes, you know, he's got really long legs, so we'll see if we can uh, get him a, a better seat on the plane trip on the way home, and uh, while we're at it, we'll see if we can get him some socks, and... Uh, <laughs> This is, his, this is his offering message. And uh, you know, we might even be able to get him some new jeans. And, uh, and if you really dig deep, we might get him a haircut too. And, <laughs> uh, praise God. So uh, it, was, it was good fun. They're great people. So Western Australia is really beginning to open up. And I mean, it's already been open, but it's the first time that I've been in there to minister, which is really cool. So back to Psalms 133. This is a whole psalm dedicated to unity. Everyone say, Unity. Unity Unity is a big deal to God. By the way, the the title of this message is Navigating the Tension. Everyone say, Navigating the Tension. So I want to just point out a couple of things that may seem to contradict, that may seem to bring tension, and I want to try and hopefully unpack uh, what could be uh, a path that you need to navigate, and I want to use the example of what I'm dealing with at the moment with awakening and hopefully you can apply those principles and it can help you in in your faith journey as well. So 133, a song of ascents of David, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Everyone say unity. unity. So we know God thinks it's good. He thinks it's Pleasant, It pleases him, in other words, when brethren, brothers and sisters, uh, in faith, dwe- the context in faith, uh, dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the Jew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded... The blessing life forevermore. So we see a few things. We know it's pleasant to God, it pleases Him. How many people want to please God? Now there's a whole psalm dedicated towards the topic of unity, the subject of unity. And did you know the Psalms predominantly are songs? These are not just scriptures read, but they also, in their original form, had melody. And the church and the people of God would sing these songs. Why? Because singing's awesome and songs are great and art is amazing, but not only that. There's something about putting melody with words. It helps you retain that truth, and when you sing it, you remember it. How many people remember? That's why they put jingles and things to commercials because it helps you remember the phone number and the and the company. And uh, but the original, I believe, one of the original reasons that we have melody and uh, and lyrics is to help us retain truth the truth of the Word of God. And so they would sing this whole psalm, this whole song dedicated towards the subject of unity. So we know it pleases God. It's good when brethren dwell together in unity. And then we see the promise. So when we do that, when we put our differences aside, when we have uh, character, maturity, when we uh, esteem others higher than ourselves, when we put, put aside our our grievances and these little things that can sometimes get between us, when we do that, when we decide to take the love road and love one another despite our weaknesses and differences, despite all of our flaws, the Bible says that God commands a blessing. So when we do that, when we choose, when we yield our will to His will in the realm of unity, and around the subject of unity, we know that that the bible says that god commands a blessing. Now a big part of awakening I want to just bring you some context and a big part of awakening is winning souls. We want to come together and we're uniting around soul winning. And it's an evangelistic event. And that's really the main emphasis. It's the main motivation is to see god glorified but also to see souls saved and to see Christians raised up and equipped to be sole winners long after the event has finished. But what we're also finding is really powerful is that it's, it's causing people and it's motivating people and inspiring people to unify together. And we're seeing pastors come together, people come together that are not normally coming together. In fact, we've heard many reports of Leaders that have had differences and they've had issues for over 15 years in some cases are saying, you know what, we're coming together. We're going to put that aside. Let those silly things, who cares? In the, in, the, in the light of eternity, in the reality of eternity, of heaven and hell, who cares about those little differences? Let's come together for the winning of souls. Let's come together to help God. Let's come together to be His ambassador. Let's come together to be his laborer, to see as many people into heaven as possible. Amen? Let me say to the person next to you, who cares about the little differences? Cast your cares upon him. Amen? For he cares. God cares. But you need to understand that we're, with people, there's always going to be things that annoy you. There's always going to be different things and tensions amongst us that we need to navigate our way through. And particularly when it, when it comes to churches coming together, and when it comes to denominations coming together, it's a big deal, but we're seeing it come to pass. All right, now I want to take you to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, and, and I want to show you something that would seem to contradict that. And that's why I've titled the message, Navigating the Tension. I want to hopefully unpack a few things. And clarify a few things maybe and help you out in a few things. Matthew chapter 10 verse 34. This is Jesus speaking now. So we know it's true that God wants unity, loves unity, wants us in peace, wants us working together. Doesn't want us putting each other down, accusing one another and slandering one another and uh, secretly thinking one thing about the person but saying other things behind their back. Gossip, all those Crazy things that belong to the kingdom of darkness. Doesn't want that. But Matthew chapter 10 verse 34. Check this out. This is really interesting. This is Jesus speaking now. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. I'm going to say that again. This is Jesus speaking. It's not a misprint. It's Jesus speaking, okay? Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and daughter, against a mother and daughter-in-law, against a mother-in-law, and the man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. What on earth is Jesus saying there? And why does that seem to contradict what we've just read in Psalms 133.1? I want to tell you that the peace that Jesus is talking about here is a false peace. Now Jesus is actually the Prince of Peace. So he's not against peace. And he told his disciples, when you minister, when you go into their homes, let the peace come upon the house. So we want to release peace. The kingdom of God is peace. And we want to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We know that the Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Ghost. So what's he saying here? He's saying, I didn't come to bring a false unity. I didn't come to bring a false peace. But I came to bring a sword. A sword can often divide. What is the sword? What's the reference? What is, what's the definition of the sword? The sword is the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. And if you, un, if you read the Bible in its entirety, you, you begin to understand that. And so that's why the study of the Scriptures is very important. Otherwise, you can think that Jesus is uh, some murdering guy with a sword. Are you with me? Yeah. That's why correct hermeneutics is important. Systematic theology is important. Not just reading things and picking things out and forming your own understanding, interpreting the Scriptures that you, the way you want to interpret it. That's not good. That's dangerous. That's how cults are formed. And so we need teachers. We need community. We need accountability in, our, in understanding and unpacking Scriptures. Amen? Yeah. So he's saying that the Word of God, and we know the Word of God is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Amen? The Word of God is the truth. It's the perfect truth. And when we speak the truth, it can sometimes divide. But in our human makeup, uh, sometimes it's our carnal nature. We want to keep everyone happy. And we want to please everybody. And we want to make, we don't want to rock the boat. And we want to try and avoid controversy. But let me tell you, now I'm not saying be obnoxious, but I am going to say if you want to live on the front line and you really want to see revival and you really want to see an awakening, there will be controversy. You cannot avoid controversy. You cannot avoid people being upset with you. Jesus said they hate the truth. Jesus said, don't be surprised if they hate you because they first hated me. Why do they hate Jesus? Because he's light. And he said it like this, they hate me because they love the darkness. They hate me because they love the sin. And when they're around me, and when I speak truth, it uncovers their sin. They don't like that. They want to stay in sin, stay in darkness. And that's why they would come against Jesus. Or sometimes it's because they're jealous. Religious people predominantly were the ones that attacked Jesus, And he was always causing controversy. He wasn't meaning to do it. He wasn't trying to be obnoxious and and start a fight. We also know Jesus says, be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. But it was just who he was. He was there to, to break the demon's back. He said, I'm here to destroy the works of the devil. And sometimes when you live like that, And when you really want to see revival and begin to step out in your call, wherever you are, whatever call you have, whatever sphere of society, when you begin to move forward in the things of God, expect there to be backlash. Expect controversy. Expect, in some some cases, to be hated. Okay? So, we want to see unity, but not at the cost of the truth. Unity is not paramount, and I'll bring bring the setting of awakening to try and help you. Unity is not our first thing. The preaching of the gospel is our first thing. Unity is something that's happening, that's overflowing, something that we're praying for. We want it, but we're not going to unify at the cost of truth. Are you with me? But there's tension, there's Elements of tension to that, because then you're saying, well, what truth do we unify around? I'll give you an example. We won't unify, and I'm not going to have meetings with the Jehovah Witnesses. They're not going to be involved in this Christian event. Now, if they want to come, yes, they can come, but we're not going to have them involved in the pastor's meetings. We're not going to have them teaching from the platform. There's an example. Why? Because we didn't, we're not here for a false peace. I'm not meeting with the Muslim leaders and saying, hey, can you pray your Islamic prayer to start? I know they're trying to do that in the parliament, but we're not going to do that at awakening. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to bring a false peace, but a sword, and sometimes that's going to divide. We're not going to back down from our convictions of truth. I want to encourage you in the workplace, it's the same. Sometimes there's a temptation to say nothing, to withdraw, to uh, just calm down a little bit, because you know that if you step out, bring, there'll be controversy. And sometimes it's easier on the flesh just to go under the radar. But Jesus never really went under the radar. There were certain times he had to get away from the crowds, but that was only because he had to get to the next city. It wasn't because he was afraid of controversy. Amen? Amen. So do you see that tension that we sometimes have to navigate our way through? We want unity, but we don't want universalism. What does universalism mean? All roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. And we're going to tell you they don't. You can still come to our event, but all roads don't lead to heaven. All roads lead to hell except one. That's Jesus. Are you with me? And if you're happy to unify around that, awesome. We love you. You can come and check it out. We're not going to turn you away. Our doors are open. But the truth is the truth. And we're not afraid of you coming against us as a result. We're not afraid of the potential controversy from the media and everything else as a result. We're not going to calm down, back down. We're going to preach the truth. Amen? Glory to God. So there are secondary differences that we're asking people to put aside. And I'm not saying put it aside forever. And in your movement, you guys are teaching that, and that's okay. But for this, we're asking you to put your secondary differences aside and come together and unify around Jesus. Unify around the gospel. Unify around the Romans road, the, the scriptures in Romans that we all hold to where Jesus said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We all believe that. Let's unify around that. Unify around John 3, 16. We all believe that, don't we? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We unify around that. Now, you might not believe that there are apostles today. You might not believe that miracles happen today. You might not believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. We're going to ask you to put those differences aside and come together and unify around the gospel. Unify around Jesus. And So that's what's happening at the moment. And uh, that's the type of unity that we need, that the world needs to see. Margaret Court had a dream. She told me this at the Margaret Court Arena when we put that big event on. She said, I was in the dream. I was in heaven. And I saw the multitudes worshiping God together, unified, one heart, one mind, one spirit. And she looked around and she could see uh, she could see that they were from different nations, different tribes, even different denominations. But it didn't seem like that in heaven. They were all there together as one. And she said in the dream, she said out loud, why didn't we do this when we were on the earth? <laughs> Seems so simple, doesn't it? Why didn't we do this? We're in, the, in heaven, there's, there's going to be no differences. And yet, we, we divide over such silly things. So, we need to be together in heart. Amen? The Bible says that love passes knowledge, maturity realizes that we don't have it all together. I don't have perfect, pure theology, it's evolving, it's growing. And I'm remaining teachable. As soon as you think you've got it all together, you start to fall in this place like the the religious Pharisees. That heart where it's like you're no longer teachable. You're no longer open. Amen? We need to be flexible and open. So navigating the tension. You guys okay? I want to take us to Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. This is cool. It's like a family chat. I'm able to bring you in on some of the things. I don't often get to talk about this when I'm traveling around often. I'm just preaching the gospel. I'm sharing about equipping the saints and we, uh, we stay around the subject of everyday evangelism, lifestyle discipleship. But I feel like I want to bring you into a couple of things uh, just so you can understand in your personal life as a family. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Check this out. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Hey, uh, could someone bring me a water? Thank you. I'll read that one more time. I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now's, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. Thank you. Legend. By the way, Glenda, that was awesome singing and worship, worshiping. So good. Didn't the band do a great job? Thank you so much. The power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. Who is that? Who's the accuser of the brethren? There's a few names for him. Uh, Satan. That's one that we all are familiar with. A part of what he does, there are many things. We know he kills, steals, destroys, John 10.10. But here we see one of the other attributes of the devil is accusing. He's the accuser of the what? Of the brethren. And so who are the brethren? Us. And it's really interesting that it says, he doesn't just have a go at it every now and then. It says, who accused them before I go day and night? So a part of his role, because he's powerless, Jesus took the power from him, the keys of sin and death. But what he does try and do is lie and twist things and get us turning on one another. can't beat us, so he tries to turn us on one another. And he does it day and night. That's why the Bible's so strong when it says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder unless there is absolute proof and, and a combination of witnesses. Because the Bible knows that this is the devil's job, day and night, nonstop, to accuse you and I, to bring us down, to get us divided, to get us fighting against one another. If we're fighting against one another, we're no longer fighting the good fight of faith. And it's been such a mission to try and bring people together for this, but it's happening. And we, you know, we have hundreds of support churches for Awakening Australia. And we've had people send accusing emails to every single church on that list. Those guys are evil, they want unity. They're a part of the nah. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> That's a new one, actually. That's, uh, that's, I think about every revival in the history of time. Jesus himself, they said, and the people that followed him, they said, he's a cult leader. He's part of the sect of the Nazarenes. They said he's part of a sect, a cult. And I think of uh, Evan Roberts, who helped lead 100,000 people to Jesus in Wales. And the accuser of the brethren was able to infect two people in the height of that revival to go to Evan Roberts and to talk him out of what took place. The devil couldn't stop it because he's powerless, but he can lie and can try and get in the minds of people and use them as vessels to stop it. That was sad reading about I love church history and often I don't often get to share about that component of it, but just amongst family today, I just... And God woke me up with this last night and gave me some details. Just to give us the heads up. And uh, we're all in this together. And I'm using awakening as as an example, but it's going to impact you too as you begin to step out. There's going to be things that will come against you. People that will accuse you. People that will try and stop you. And, uh, And it's really important that we understand that that's an attribute. Of the enemy, But the good news is that Jesus, so we've got the enemy day and night accusing, but on the other hand, we know that the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and that day and night, He's interceding for us. Amen? So even if you think you haven't got anyone on this earth praying for you, uh, you have got someone praying for you, 24-7, Jesus is interceding at the right hand of the Father. Amen? Glory to God. I'm going to finish with this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate. And difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who be that find it. The narrow gate, the hard gate, the broad gate or the wide gate that Jesus is talking about. He said, many are on it. That's why I said before, all roads don't lead to heaven. All roads lead to hell except one. The wide path that leads to destruction and many are on it. narrow is the gate that leads to life. And sometimes it's hard. That's the truth. Now, the tension is that the arms of the father are wide open. And he's waiting for his children to run into his arms. The truth is that The grace of God is so amazing and is available to every single person in this world. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that every single person in this life would come to the saving knowledge of God, into the saving grace of God. That's the truth. His arms are wide open, but the way is narrow, the way can be hard. We're going against the grain of this world. We need to lose our life to find it. We need to be willing to go through the controversy. We need to be willing to face the backlash. A lot of people don't step out and have a go at big things because they know what comes with it. They know the fight along the way and they stop and they back down and they back off. But God has put a strength in us and I believe particularly in this hour, There's a strength, he's raising up his army in this hour to not back down, to fight the good fight of faith, to really understand that stronger is he that's in me.